Father, I just thank you for the morning. I thank you for the time in which we start the day greeting you, looking for your guidance, looking for your mercies to carry us through. I pray, Lord, that you will give us our, all hearts and minds to be focused on you, to hunger and to thirst for what is true, what is righteous. And Father, with that, help us to feel the weight of where we fall down. And uh, Lord, know that in coming to you, our sins are forgiven. And you do give us strength to just tackle each day what comes forth. We pray for this body. We pray for the uh, sermon. We pray for Bob as he comes to teach. And we also think of Dave and Karen as they are away. And uh, I just appreciate so much their caring concern and teaching your flock. We ask that you bring them back safely. And help us to turn to your word now. Help us to glean out the truths in which, Lord, we truly seek, seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Being that you're in the book of Hebrews, you'll undoubtedly notice that when you get to that eighth chapter, and I'm going to turn it over quickly, you get down uh, after starting the chapter talking about a high priest and the priesthood, you get right down to verse 7 for it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. Now this starts a quote out of Jeremiah chapter 31, and we will be turning to Jeremiah 31, and we might flip back that way because we're going to be spending most of our time back in the books of Isaiah, Zechariah, and Jeremiah. Good morning, Andre. You guys snuck in there in the back. Got a nice little family chorus going on back there. Okay, now, we talked about the uh, New Covenant. And last week, just to do a real quick recap, we talked about the fact that the New Covenant is given to Israel and to Judah. It is a clear covenant in which God has promised His people a covenant relationship. Now, you get to the New Testament, and don't take this personally, but uh, not a whole lot of you look like, uh, you know, Jews out there. There's not a whole lot of you who are uh, seeking to try and keep any kind of a, a covenant relationship. Good morning, folks. Now, in that, when you get to the New Testament... A lot of people think that the break of the New and, and the Old Testament happens where it says New Testament and Old Testament. Trouble is, is you start off the New Testament with probably one of the greatest Old Testament prophets named John the Baptist. And uh, things progress. You go through the Gospels, you hit some pretty tough verses. Was discussing with uh, with uh, Brian, my son, last night, the fact that uh, you know at one point Jesus sat there and says, "You know what, lady? I didn't I didn't come for you guys. I came for the children of Israel." 
What do the dogs have to do with the children? Right? Do you ever think of doing evangelism that way? You think it would work over, you know, work out very well? Why not? Why did our Lord make it so hard on that woman up in Tyre? I mean, all she wanted was her son healed, right? Well, you know, the same difficulty you're having in answering that question is the same difficulty in as much as how come the Lord had a covenant with Israel that had to be, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 8, had to be replaced with a second. Did God make a mistake in the first? Oh, funny how quick you guys are to say no. Maybe he did. That's an honest heart there. Right? Well, a lot of people figure he did. Now, the issue there is, and we as Christians have different ways of approaching this problem. You can be a covenant believer, in which you sit there and say, you know what, Israel just didn't quite pan out. So, since they didn't quite pan out, God says, you know what, I've had enough of you, boom, I'm going to bring in some new folks, and they bring in us, and then we spend the next 2,000 years telling each other how wonderful we're doing. <laughs> right? And the issue with that is, is uh, uh, just like uh, early days of uh, our country and this and that, you end up with a good um, millennialist view and sit there and say, you know, we really don't need Jesus to come back. We've got everything we need. And if we can just simply get our system built out and everything worked out, and not, we can just create the kingdom right here on earth and go with it. And believe me, today it's easy to do. Now, last week I made some fun over some books and this and that. Someone handed me a paper, and it just burdens me because this book is put out by Multnomah. But they have a book called Godonomics. And all you got to do is follow the principles as a nation, and you can reap the benefits of God's system of getting blessed. Right? Any problem with that? Yes, I think there's some wisdom in it. What's that? <laughs> I'd have to say, I think there's some wisdom in, in, in if we follow God's precepts with our laws, that, uh, that we're going to be blessed more than if we, uh, we follow man's wisdom. Yeah. I think we do away with staying out on steel, and that's what I'm uh, I agree. I agree completely. I agree completely. But how well does that work? I haven't really followed it. What's that? About a generation. <laughs> About a generation. Well, the, the funny thing is, there's certain things you can't pass on a generation to generation. can why, why does man always take for granted what he has and envy what he doesn't? Right? I mean, you can grow up in the best times and you take it all for granted and all you want is something different. So then you get hope and change, right? And then where do you go from there? Uh, I'd really like to go back to where I was, right? <laughs> kind of a thing. Well, look, the whole point is, is, is there's a problem here. And the problem consists of the fact that 
God made covenant with men, starting with, well, if you want to go back to the Adamic uh, covenant, which really wasn't a cut covenant, unless you talk about the idea of the slaughtering of the animals to cover his sin, and, and how that's revealed. But we have definitely, starting in the time of Noah, the idea that God is cutting covenant with man in as much as giving responsibility and giving relationships. And in that relationship, God is making a, a, a promise, a pledge. It is an agreement between two. And it's done in different ways. It can be unconditional, like that of Abraham, right? In as much as what the blessing is going to be. But then it turns around and it's very conditional, right? I mean, you look at the Abrahamic covenant, right? What was the condition on Abraham? Get that thing trimmed, right? Boy, pull that one out of the air, right? Tell your buddies, you know, I, I, I want to go into business with you, but, you know, I want you to do something first. Whoa, whoa, hang on a second. What's the point here, right? You look at the fact that there was an unconditional promise given by God, but there were conditional responses. And even though people would not keep that, because when you come up to another very significant time, the time of Moses, Moses is running around, which is the one thing that Moses has to do at nearly 80 years of age in order to then go and chill, you know, lead the children of Israel. Moses, get circumcised and circumcise your son. Well, now wait a minute. It's one thing to be circumcised on the eighth day. It's a whole other thing to do it at 80, right? <laughs> Give me a break. But the point being is, how come these things are set forth the way they are? One of the best questions I got, and I wish he was here today, was, why didn't we need the first covenant? Why not just have the new covenant? That's part of what we need to discuss and go through. Now, we are going to define two aspects of the new covenant. First one being, first one being that it is a covenant made with Israel and Judah, but there are blessings from it that is given to the Gentiles. And how these two merge do, do not make sense. They don't make sense at all. Because you would think one is exclusive to the other. In fact, a good Jewish friend of mine, if I bring this subject up, he points out very clearly, Messiah is ours. What are you guys doing running around with him? Right? And I said, they go, no, 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 no. Messiah can do what he wants to do. And if he wants to invite me into the feast, I'm going to go eat. Right? Now, when I go into the feast, is he only serving kosher food? No. No? Right? Peter, kill and eat. I'm with you. We're going to eat a little pork in there, I think. But, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. In this, when you turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, and you go to verse 31, we're going to be reading uh, very similar as to what we 
just read in uh, Hebrews. Starting at verse 31, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. He then, from verse 35 to 37, proclaims the heavens as a witness to this. And you'll notice that this witnessing is, is almost identical to that of the previous covenants. But the two things you have to get out of this new covenant is, it is defined in two ways. One, it is not in any way connected with the previous covenant with Moses. Now, quite often we think of that previous covenant as a single covenant. But you've got to remember, you had this uh, Sinaitic, Sinaitic? The, the covenant at Sinai, you have the priestly covenants, right? And then you also have the Deuteronomic covenant, all tied up with Moses, all tied in together. And uh, uh, it's the kind of thing in which it was put forth to the people. And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, you have this proclamation put out of it in which the people respond and say, we will do it, yes? Now, the tie-in here is, of the previous covenant, how do I put this? First and foremost, there was other covenants before that. Number one, the Abrahamic. Paul makes very serious mention of that, saying, look, it came well before that of Moses, yes? All right? The other is that found uh, probably one of the greatest chapters in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 7, in which you have the covenant with David, which just really is, is a, uh, a picture of Messiah like they had never seen in the Old Testament. And, and, and with that, you look at the fact that it was only that of Moses that was conditional, and the conditional part of it was, Israel, you will always be my people. You will always be. But either by your blessing or your cursing, both of which come from God, right? You will be defined. Now, the question here is, we look at blessing as cursing as things like saved and not saved. I'm sorry. She has a dear place in my heart. So, with blessing and cursing, you have to understand is, Israel was chosen to be a witness. Chosen to be a witness. Where they proved to be unfaithful, they were a witness to the world that God judges and sin. Where they were faithful to the Lord, they were a witness that God blesses His own, who want relationship with Him. Right? Now, 
Let's try and make a parallel to that to the New, New Testament. When you cry out for Christ to change you, to be a new creature in Him, if the promise to you was the same, how readily do you think you get people running down the altar? If the promise was, hey, when you are following me and doing what is right, I'm going to make your life pretty nice. But when you stray a little bit, I'm going to... There's the old Irish prayer. I don't know if you ever heard it. In fact, my daughter will probably have to help me with it. But there's an old Irish prayer that says, Oh Lord, let those who love me love me. And those who don't, How's it go? Strike them in the knee. Strike them in the knee and make them limp so I might know them by their limping. <laughs> what if when you screwed up, it was to be made so manifest and open that everybody can see? That's what Israel was called to do. That's what Israel stepped into. Do you think you would get people as willing to walk the aisle? Right? And yet, in the New Testament, there are such uh, verses as, Lord, forgive me my sins, as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Now, wait a minute, that sounds pretty Old Testament. That does not sound New Testament, does it? And yet, every New Testament church I've ever run into, that's considered pretty hallowed ground for prayer, right? So we have to look at this dichotomy that there's, there's two problems here. One is, does Israel get redeemed? The other one is, how in the world do we fit in if the promise is given to Israel? Now, first thing is, when you read, and uh, we just read 31 to 34 in Jeremiah, you'll notice that Verse 1 states very clearly the new covenant is with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The reason why the distinction between the two is because each one was taken into captivity separate, right? Not as, you, as uh, a single nation. Israel, the top ten tribes, went into captivity much before. And even by the time Judah was taken into captivity, we've already written off the northern kingdoms, right? The, the, the northern tribes, just gone. But God never wrote them off. Now the next one is that it is a new covenant. The word new does not just mean new in the sense of a renewal or a refreshing. It means new as compared with old. And it's very clear from the passage because he makes that distinction, verse 32, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. This is distinctly different. Now, up until this time, as you went through the prophets, what was the call? Come back to the Lord. Come back to the covenant. Come back to me, Israel. This is not that way. This is the opposite. This says, hey, we're going to put away that old. And Hebrews chapter 8 really picks up on this. and says, man, one is a lot better than the other. Well, why? Let's look at some of the other um, parts that make this up. Oh my goodness, look at this. What makes this thing up is, and, and we've got to use this as our, our, our set text, but 
all through the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel especially, and then when you get into the minor prophets later on, Hosea and um, Zechariah, you find that this covenant has different names. If you were to turn to um, uh, just over into Jeremiah chapter 32, in verse 40, he says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they will not turn away from me. Now, this is the same covenant as we're looking at in the new covenant that he spoke of in 31. Uh, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 37, just turn over a few pages there, Ezekiel's in the next book, in Ezekiel 37, verse 26, he says, well, i got to back up, the context of this is so good, verse 24, my servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances, and keep my statutes and observe them. Now, keep in mind that that wording of ordinances and statutes is speaking of the Old Covenant. But when he's talking about my servant David and one shepherd, who's he talking about? Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 25, They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever, and David, my servant, will be prince over them. Now again, here's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in the land and the people. Yes, they will be on the land, they will have generation after generation. So here I've got the, the two previous covenants tied in together, and then also the covenant made with David in 2 Samuel 7, as far as David being king, you got all three of these previous covenants tied into, and what does he say? I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and, and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. And he goes on and talks about his dwelling place. But the point being is, is those previous covenants were needed in as much as Proclaiming God's holiness, proclaiming God's purpose, proclaiming what is right for man, distinguishing what is between holy and profane, teaching man what it is to want and be. The new covenant, when you go back to Jeremiah 31, read the rest of the 31st chapter, and it talks about the blessings on the people and the cattle and the land and all that stuff. And it has to do with fulfilling the promise to Abraham. Remember Abraham? Rise up Abraham, I've got a land for you. Rise up Abraham. Remember his name was Abram? What did Abram mean? Exalted father. Exalted father. Great. You meet somebody and you say, hey, I'm the exalted father. And they'd say, what? How many children you have? And what was his response? Well, I don't have any. Well, that's a nice name. It doesn't fit, right? So then what does the Lord do after a while? He says, you know, I'm going to make a promise with Abraham. I'm going to make you a father of nations, of multitudes, right? And in fact, to prove it, I don't want you to be called 
Abraham anymore. I wanted to be Abraham. What does Abraham mean? Father of many or nations or multitudes. How many kids did he have at that point? Great. So can you imagine? You haven't seen your buddy old Baca, right? Coming through in the caravan in a couple of years. And he knew you had Abram, right? And then uh, he's coming to you and you go, no, 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 name's Abraham now. God changed it. Really? Abraham now? Really? Abraham? How many kids you got now? Oh, I saw how many kids. <laughs> Funny how that works. But the promise, the promise never changes. See, so often we look at the fact that, you know, and... Take Josh McDowell's books. I mean, they're good books, you know, this and that. But you know what? The whole idea that you can sit and say, God said this, or this happened. God said this, and this happened. I mean, I've got people who run around and tell me how Nostradamus did that, or Gene Dixon did that, or, you know, whatever else. Did you know if you listen to Led Zeppelin and turn the way backwards and this and that, you can find out that they predicted everything in the future, too? And I said, oh, yeah, wow, geez. Stand on one foot, smoke this, and kind of cross your eyes, and you can believe in anything, right? <laughs> the difference is this. God made a promise at the very beginning. That promise has never changed. But in order for us to understand the singular promise, He had to walk us through ways of understanding. Because, look, folks... I could promise you the sweet by and by. But if your babies aren't eating, and your wife just took off, right? And, and, you know, the job you've had for 30 years just dried up, and there's no need for your trade anymore. You know, all these other things. You tell me where your worry is. You tell me where your heart is. You can sit there and say, oh, don't worry about it. God's got a place for you in heaven. I'm sitting there going, well, it's, it's nice to know he's got heaven under control. I'm living right here. Who's going to come into this pit and deal with this stuff? And, and that is where the Lord is sitting there saying, you know what? It can all be taken care of. You go through pains in your life in which you think there's no purpose to. You know, there is absolutely no reason. If there was a God in heaven, there's no need for this. Right? And we can all come up with what these, these, these sins, these, these aches, these pains, and that are. He turns around and tells me, all things can be redeemed. All things. You read that book of Lamentations. You look at what Israel went through. You look at the fall. And, and such destruction, such degradation, such humility. For, for centuries, for years it goes on, not quite centuries, but decades. And he sits there and says, Lord, the children? Cannibalism? Rape? Murder? All this? And he says, Yeah, I can redeem it all. You believe me? Right? And there would be those who would sit there and doubt that. And he says, oh, I'll tell you what. Take a dead body. Take a dead body that's been dead forever. What can you do with that? Right? All I can do is maybe make fertilizer out of it, right? That's about it. He says, no. I can make it 
jump up, live eternally, new in all things. I, I love, I used to get in an argument with a, with a gentleman here because old time believer in this and that, and he just, you know, he swore by Jonah and the fish. Jonah and the fish, right? That man lived in that belly of that thing for, you know, this and that. So the question is this, did he create a special fish, right? That a man could live in? Or was somehow Jonah just kept alive, you know? Stuck in that belly of whatever it was, and just, you know, this and that. See, I have no problem with the story. That fish chewed up Jonah, ate him, and that was it. He was dead as a doornail. When he got puked up on the shore, I don't know how many pieces it was, right? But now you tell people that, and they look at you and go, are you nuts? <clears throat> and I said, that's a man who's probably great white. You know, this and that. Just took him down. And so I, I, I'd be asked for proof. Can you prove it one way or another? Jesus said, just as the sign of Jonah, that he was in the belly of the fish for three days, so shall the Son of Man be. Was oh, Jesus dead in the tomb? Yeah. So the point being is, I have no problem believing in a God that could redeem all things, even death. Well, if he can redeem death, what can't he redeem? He can redeem all things. Now, going on. If you turn to the book of Hosea, small prophet, after Daniel. If you find Daniel, just keep going to Hosea. And then Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 18, he just calls it the covenant, or a covenant. He says, in that day I'll also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the sky, and the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in, judge, in justice, in loving kindness, and in compassion. And I will, be, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now again, what he's speaking of here is a different covenant than what they had previous. All these things define the new covenant. Now you get to the New Testament, right? You read about the bride, the bridegroom. How many of you are looking forward to that feast, right? Pretty good feast. We were discussing earlier, is it going to be kosher? Probably not. Probably going to be wide open. But the point being is, from the time of the captivity on, you have a change difference in Israel. And the change difference in Israel is they're looking for a new covenant. They're looking for something new. And in fact, when you open the, the new covenant, you start reading. Remember um, that old man, what's his name, Zacharias, that was hanging outside the temple? And he hears the cry of the baby. And he gets up there and he quotes out of these prophets, a light unto the Gentiles. Right? Why in the world? He, he called them a light unto the Gentiles and the hope of Israel. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that the struggle we have? Well, let's back up. When the promise was first given to Abraham, was it just given to Abraham? Was it just... And his descendants. And his descendants. Was it only for them? 
Paul makes that point very clear. But, but, interesting thing, both in Hebrew and as we do in English, the word seed can mean um, singular, can represent the plural. Well, it's like if you say moose uh, niece for plural, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But the point being is, the distinction there has to do with the fact that it was clearly made for Abraham and his posterity, and when you see what goes on in making uh, Isaac, right, the person, you see that, okay, there was a little silliness there going on, you know. You, you realize that when Sarah had Hagar go in, the handmaid, do you realize that what she was trying to do was prove that uh, Abraham was a righteous man? Because in the culture in that day, if you were married and did not have children, you were looked at as one unblessed by God, right? And by Sarah sending in Hagar and, and Abraham having a son, Ishmael, through Hagar, it was revealed that he was okay, she was not. That is a shameful thing for a woman to admit. Because up until then, it's just the two of them, you kind of go, well, you know, he's just, you know, not quite there, right? Now, in what she did there was a gracious thing, but it also turned into a very bitter thing, didn't it? But it was very clear that it was not to be through Ishmael, it was to be through Isaac, yes? A very clear line was to be drawn there. But it was promised to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And yet no definition on how that's going to happen. Yes? Now, your point in the seed, key. Key. And that's why in the New Testament you have such a tie to the Abrahamic covenant because what you find is to answer all the covenants to answer, especially what goes on in the New Covenant, doesn't matter whether you're a covenant theologian or a dispensationalist or a progressive dispensationalist, all agree that the answer is found in Christ. The difference is then how you flow from it. Those who would flow from it and sit there and say there is no redemption for Israel have to ignore strong passages that says if Israel is not redeemed, there is no hope. Yes? They have to be redeemed. But just like the world's been looking at them for 4,000 years sitting and saying, I find no value in a Jew, right? And, and it cracks me up. People sit to say, you know, there's still racism in this in the world. I said, oh, yeah. I said, the best example I can see is, is uh, anti-Semitism of Jews, especially in this country. And people say, oh, I, 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 that's not important. Right? Who cares about that? Who cares about that? Silly people, you know? Ridiculous things. The provisions that make up this new covenant is the fact that there's transformation going to happen. When you got saved or, or uh, you bought into the Abrahamic covenant, it was important to be marked, to be seen as different. When you accepted the uh, uh, Mosaic covenant, you know, or covenants, you had to keep the ritual. You know, you had to be part of that cult 
following that put certain things into action. You were defined by that, right? The interesting thing about the New Covenant is what defines us? The Spirit in us. What's that? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit being inside of us. Okay, stand up and show me. <laughs> It's, 
it's fantastic. In fact, I, you know, you can always tell someone when they get their first kill because they, they put it on. You don't hear from them for a while, this and that. But if you go to their house, you hear that they're just jumping on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I turned to the same man. I said, now, wait a minute. I said, what you're saying to me, is it biblical or is it cultural? And he says, it's biblical. And he chapter and verse did. I was very proud of that, right? But the point being is this. I asked him, did Jesus wear trousers? <laughs> See, a lot of you guys don't want to answer that. <laughs> and, and the thing of it is, is in a lot of ways, I can make a big deal like was done in the cult that my mother grew up in, uh, very Amish-wise, if a man does not have a beard after he gets married, he is not behaving manly. By shaving, you are being effeminate. Right? Not you, Jack. <laughs> All fins are excluded from this. <laughs> no, what, what you have to understand is that what we make cultural is a whole different thing. We know when someone is being effeminate, don't we? Culture or non-culture. When, when you get into the whole idea of certain culture that should women, you know, braid their hair, right? You have certain people who want to run around and make all these definitions. Well, you know, we're not going there. We're not going there. The new covenant, there's nothing to define me. A lot of people sit there and say, you need a fish on your car. And I sit there and say, you do not want to put a fish on my car. <laughs> they sit there and they say, why don't I want to put a fish on your car? I said, because you want people to think nicely of Christians, don't you? <laughs> right? Do not put a fish on my car. Right? Now, since I've been taking blood pressure medicine, my driving is much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some people say going to church on Sunday. Right? Because Sunday's the Sabbath. Now I was kind of going, Sunday's the Sabbath, right? I thought Sabbath was on Saturday. Oh, no, no, no. We changed the Sabbath. You changed the Sabbath? Uh huh. The Lord created Sabbath. I don't know how in the world you're going to change it, right? Kind of a thing. But we play games with these things, right? There is nothing external. What you shared with me was out of your heart. And the neat thing is, I plan on being around for a while, and I hope you're going to be around for a while. I get to see how you live your life. That is the witness. You cannot just pull the spirit out of a bottle and sit there and say, here it is. Well, unless you watch certain TV channels. <laughs> then you can find people who can put water in the gas tank and drive away, right? That's a good one. Try that one at home. <laughs> Especially with your dad's car. <laughs> That's a good one. Alright? Now, what we have to look at is the fact that in the New Covenant, and um, the provisions of it, first and foremost, and, and we're not going to turn to all these, but you may want to write these down. First and foremost is the new heart. If you go to Jeremiah 24, 4-7, it was also read in chapter 31 that we saw, in 32, chapter 32, verses 37 to 41, and in Ezekiel 11, 17 to 21, in Ezekiel 36, from 22 to 32, 
you have all stated there the fact that there's going to be a new heart. He says, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. It's going to be new. And in this, I am going to give, breathe a new spirit within you. A new spirit within you. Well, the first time he breathed into man, he created what? Life. Okay? Now, when he breathes into man again, he breathes in what? His own spirit. It's a whole different thing. But there's a big problem we have. We have this new heart given, and we understand that as Christians, because that is spoken of in the New Testament. We also have the, uh, uh, the giving of the Spirit. Forgiveness is unconditional, right? And in fact, when you get farther up in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, he makes the point of the sacrifices, that here they've got to be repeated in that over and over, just as a reminder that sin is constant, right? But Christ died what? Once for all. Ooh, big difference. Now, um, also Hebrews chapter 12. The problem of expiation of guilt. See, the Old Testament, you can go and perform your, your uh, sacrifice and be forgiven. But you also had to do restitution, right? You had to do something open and out there, right? Which always had an aspect of guilt to it. And uh, New Testament says, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's a tough one. Now, another point that is well worth making is that there is a consummation of the relationship. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 26. <laughs> no new life there. Back in Deuteronomy 26 verse 17 and 29 13 and in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 24. You have a formula given. That uh, for you Deutsche sprechen Sie there, it is the Bundesformel, or the union statement. If God had a mission statement through Scripture, what would it be? I'm going to give it to you here in a minute, but uh, take a shot. All those verses I just gave you. Love the Lord your God, and... Uh, Okay, love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. Okay, this is a good statement on our side, but if God had a mission statement to provide a way in order for mankind to get to heaven, that is exactly the statement, but it's made, God makes it with a little different wording, and it's very key. And you find it in, in all those things, but you also find it in. Back where the new uh, heart is talked about in Jeremiah 24, 7, 31, in verse 33, we've already read it once. In chapter 32, verse 38, Ezekiel eleven twenty. you'll notice these are the same chapters where we're talking about the new heart. The statement is, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, all of scripture, there is no problem with God being God, is there? Is there? You have a few periods of time in which the people said to say, oh, I don't want to think of God. I just would hang out with Moloch or Baal or, you know, Astroth or whoever, right? But the problem is never with God not being God. Now, have you ever gone through a period in your life in which you have a problem with God not being God? 
I always think of the old, you know, walking on the sand, right? Walking on the sand with my Lord and his two foot prints, right? Two sets. And we're walking on the back. And it's a wonderful romantic thing, you know. There's two sets. I know God's walking with me. But then it, the poem goes on and says, yeah, but when times get tough, I noticed there's only one set of footprints there. And by implication, what, what am I saying? God's not there. And so I kind of go, oh, what's the answer? I heard it. Yeah, what you find is there's only one set there because that's the period of time in which God is carrying you. Why are your feet so sore then? What's that? Why are your feet so sore then? They're sore because that gives me something to whine about, doesn't it? The issue we have is God is always God. We just don't like the answers. All right? The eternal prayer of all of us, Lord, I want patience and I want it when? If that doesn't reveal the heart of man, right? Okay, well, that's the way life is. But this statement, this mission statement is key because when you go through and you look at how it's used, it is done with the idea, how is God going to make this work? Because it doesn't, doesn't fit. Jews are not good people as far as being able to follow what God tells them to do. Right? But we Gentiles, look at our church history. We have just peaked out. <laughs> we couldn't do any better, could we? No, it's tough. No. The blessings for the Gentiles was to come through Israel. We know this from Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. We also know that the Messiah is identified with Israel. He is God's son. Yes? Any of you have any problems with that? Well, go back and check Exodus 4.22. Israel is God's son. Go back to 2 Samuel 7 again. Verse 14, David is called God's son. All through the Old Testament, you have this mixture of his son being found in Israel, and like stated over there, it's Daniel, yes? Yes, sir. Okay, like Daniel mentioned, it's a seed. It is an offspring, what David was looking forward to. Now, let's talk about servant. How many of you have read Isaiah 51? Who's he talking about there? Remember in Acts, the Ethiopian reads it and says, is he talking about himself or somebody else, right? And the old evangelist flies up and says, oh, I want to tell you about Jesus, right? Well, how many have ever heard that Jews think that the servant in Isaiah 51 is Israel? You ever hear that? Isn't that the most ridiculous thing you ever heard? No, it's not. Because read the three other servant songs in, in Isaiah, and it's very clear that Israel is identified as the servant. Israel was called to be a nation of priests. And because of their unfaithfulness, God willed it down to one tribe. And how well did that one tribe do? How we had to whittle it down to one family. That didn't do so well. We had to get rid of half those boys and that and deal with others. And then we finally had to get down and toss it to a family named Zadok. 
and, and they didn't do so good in all this kind of stuff. And, and the whole point being is, look, the whole nation was to be priests. What do you need a priest for? For mediation. If all Israel are priests, they are going to evangelize the world and be a blessing to all. Well, how in the world are you going to get all those idiots to do it? Right? I can't even get one. Ah, you find that it isn't just being God's son or God's servant. He is God's covenant. Now, when you go to Isaiah 42, verse 6, and then Isaiah, well, we should turn there. Yeah, we got time. <laughs> 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand to watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open eyes, to bring out prisoners, and all this. This is, well, it starts off, if you go to verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold. This is speaking of Israel, but it is clearly speaking of Christ. Christ, as stated in Romans, was not just the priest. He was the sacrifice, right? He is the covenant. And what you have to understand is, whether you're talking about him being God's son, the servant, the covenant, Abraham's seed, he is identified with Israel as Israel, and when you get to those, oh, those chapters, chapter 12 of Zechariah, the beginning of which I, I, I can't read without breaking, when they look on him whom they have pierced, oh, I can't take it. But when you go beyond that, what does it say? Each household, they mourn on their own as for an only son, yes? Each one Stands and then you walk through it, and you know what? The house of David is as the house of God. The house of Nathan is as, and, and every family is lifted with the idea that you know what? Our identity is in Him. Our identity is there. He is the covenant. He kept it. He is the one willing. He is the one able. That is why when you get to the New Testament. To have identity outside of Christ, you have no place. The uniqueness of the new covenant in the New Testament is that you are found in Christ. And who is Christ? He comes, has absolutely no glory to him. What's his name? Joshua. You know how many kids run around named Joshua? Right? I mean, sorry, you can sing that song all you want. Jesus, Jesus, there's something about that name. Yeah, you know what it is? It's a Greek term for Joshua. That's it. What's unique is not the name. What's unique is the relationship with God Almighty. What's unique there is that He came and humbled Himself for me. What's unique there is the fact that He willingly cut this covenant and he cut it in his flesh you know you go back to Abraham remember God will provide himself a sacrifice what do you think he was talking about the ram stuck in the thicket 
was to keep you looking forward to what would be completed in Christ and what he did. When you realize that this is what you deserved, no better, and yet he redeems you not just as Jehovah's Witness or what other people want to peddle off, but as his son, as an heir to God himself, he is going to change my heart. Now the difference is, when it's given to Israel, it is going to be so complete that they don't even have to evangelize. You don't even have to tell anybody because all will know. That's the new covenant cut to Israel that will happen. But we know it's not complete now. Why? Because the number one charge given to the church was to do what? Go and tell the nations. The new covenant, when fulfilled, there won't be any need. There won't be any need. When you read Zechariah and you read about that last great uh, revival in which ten Gentiles hang on to the skirt of a Jew, take me home. When you read the last chapter of uh, Hosea, well, especially Zechariah, the last chapter there, the idea that the Gentile nations want to follow the Jews into Jerusalem to, to keep the Feast of Booths. See, right now, we are saved by being in Christ. The power of the new covenant is tremendous, but think about what Christ did in cutting it. He takes the Passover, the most precious thing to a Jew, to commemorate God's saving of them, and he turns it on its head. He says, he says no, 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 no. You're not to remember the Exodus anymore. You're not to remember God's deliverance anymore. You're going to do this, and instead of a feast put before you, a, a multi-course thing, you're going to take simple bread and wine, and you're going to commemorate me. You want to know why Jews have a tough time with Jesus? You don't throw all that away and make it all about you. Well, you know what? If you're able to give yourself as a sacrifice and bring yourself back to life and sit at the right hand of the Father and redeem all who come to you, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. And that is how we're in. But, don't think that God doesn't have a future for Israel. Paul put it simply, if we are so blessed now, with Israel being set aside, imagine when Israel comes to its fullness where we're going to be. That's what we have to look forward to. And also this. What is the point of the Old Testament to us? Or the Old Covenant to us? Nothing. Nothing. You don't have to keep any of it. You don't have to follow any of it. Why do you think so many Christian cults have popped up? Because just like Marcion in that third century, you could sit there and say, you know what? All we need is the New Testament. Forget the old. It, it's garbage. It's Jewish. It's gone. Just stick to the new. And what do people do with that? Oh, God is love. God is wonderful. God is a vending machine there for your dispensing. Just, just reach out and grab it. Just pray it and claim it. Just take it and go. Why do you think Christianity has such a name of what's blown apart? Because nobody cares to know the God who cut it. 
You want to know the God who cut the New Testament? Go and read the God who took Israel through all they did and yet will redeem them. You will find God there. You will have God defined there. His holiness there. His, his singularity. His uniqueness. But you know what? If you don't want that, you go, oh, the God of the Old Testament is, 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 is whatever. I stick with the God of the New. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday and today and forever. That's key in the book of Hebrews. Don't go mixing this up. But see, do you really want to know God? Or do you just want things to find how you... You know what this verse means to me? I put this verse on my refrigerator. You know what it means to me? No, personally, I can care less what it means to you. I want to know what it means. And I want all of us to struggle with what the understanding is to help each other out. Because I can't do it on my own. I need to be part of those in Christ who are gifted to lift me, and I need to lift others. That is what we're called to be. That's why you need to exercise your faith. That's why you need to put out what you put out. Hmm. I'm almost late. <laughs> the New Covenant, when you go through it in Hebrews, and it's key because the points are made well, remember what the title of the book is. It's written to Hebrews. And they need to understand the power of the new covenant in putting aside the old. Because he had Judaizers running around telling Gentiles, remember if you, we just went to Galatians, what was the problem with Galatians? You heard the gospel, you responded to it, and then all these Jews show up and sit there and say, ah, you gotta cut this thing, and you gotta eat this, and you gotta do that. And then people are sitting there and say, well, that's what God would have said, right? No, it's not what God's that was for a different economy, and that is coming back. That will be fulfilled. That will be done. But you know what? We live in a time of grace. So, church historically sits and says, oh, we live in such a wonderful time of grace. It's freedom. It's whatever. Understand this. God, since he started giving revelation, loves to communicate and speak to his people. God hasn't spoken in 2,000 years. If you understand the history of Scripture, you understand that is quite a judgment on man. And if you read Peter's books, he sits and says, yeah, people are going to think it's done. God's over. He hasn't spoken in this and that. He speaks to us now. But he speaks to us through his word. We have to stay true to what is here and understand as much as it's an age of grace, it is a great time of judgment. Because the world does not want to listen. Yeah? And he's coming back. And when he comes back, it's pretty ugly. You go through the book of Revelation, happy are those who read it and understand it, right? Because I'm not going through all that. Yeah? So, be patient with Dave. Hi, Dave. He listens to the recordings. And understand that we are not superior to the Jews. They were chosen as an example. And ask yourself in your heart, are you willing to be an example, both good and bad? Because that's what the calling of our Lord is. How he faced, do you want to live your life? 
If you want to live a Christian life in which you just put on a good polish and convince others and this and that, because then you can go out with your daughter or you can go out and do this and that, you know, or you can get a better job or whatever. Hey, you have your happiness fulfilled. Go on. It has nothing to do with salvation. But if you want to live a life in which you stay in the church, you stay with people, you stay and live a life and people say, just say, you know, Jack's called me on it many times throughout the year. Sean, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> right? And I have to confess, yeah, Jack, I'm not doing so well. You know, I need that. I need people to hold me accountable. That's why I'm part of this church. And I hope that's the reason why you're here too. Because we're all in Christ. Let's go. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the patience of your people. And I pray, Lord, now that we can make it over to the service without being too late. Just thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.